0: Two Guys, One Shaker Cup Podcast, hosted by Joshua Shaw and Ryan Buckeye. What's going on, boys and girls? Welcome inside the Two Guys, One Shaker Cup Podcast. Josh Shaw, Ryan Buckeye, back better than ever. Today's topic is an interesting one, a little bit different than some of the ones we've been talking about, and I think that's what's fun about this podcast. Like We've gotten, I think I start every podcast talking the same thing, in terms of like the engagement level on some of these topics, they're so unique and different um, that people are just like tossing in their two cents. What I, what I will say, though, Josh, is I feel like people toss in their two cents by by reading the title of the podcast and not necessarily listening to it. So when they throw out their, their feedback, it's like you know, if they listen to the podcast, maybe they would have had a different perspective um, on what we're talking about. And I would say like today's podcast is one that they probably should listen to before they start pitching ideas.
1: I agree. I mean, and this is something that I also kind of get with my personal channel. I tend to I wouldn't say clickbait the titles, but I make the titles obviously interesting enough, or make you think a certain way right. about what you think the video is going to be about, and then people start making comments, and they, and I quickly realize they didn't watch or listen to the piece of uh, content we created. So what I'll say is that we sometimes intentionally throw those curveballs in there to see if people are or aren't uh, paying attention to the actual episode, and. It's just one of those things where it helps us understand maybe how deep we should engage with you on certain topics, regardless we're going to engage with you because we just enjoy the banter and we enjoy just learning about what people think about certain topics, mm-hmm. especially because both of these or a lot of the topics we talk about on this podcast are, are much, let's say much different, but there are definitely degrees of separation from what you or I talk about on a normal basis. Yeah. So this is kind of one of those topics because we've covered you know we've covered fitness, we've covered different ideas of maybe gym ownership or supplement store ownership or supplement brands and all kinds of other things around sports or fitness and the future of everything. And we never really talked about maybe a subject matter that is kind of close to this. And, and this is like athletic apparel and mm-hmm. footwear and it just kind of those brands. I mean, they are a big part of any Fitness person's life. I would yeah. assume that most people, when they're going into uh, their local gym or maybe they're competing in a um, intramural sport or anything like that, they're probably putting on, you know, some Nike shoes or they're putting on some Under Armour shirts or even if they're really maybe cool, maybe they're maybe they're putting on some Gymshark stuff, you know, that kind of <laughs> yeah. the thing. So yeah. the idea the idea here is for us to discuss just kind of the differences between kind of what I'm considering like the older brands of athletic apparel and footwear. And this is what I'm kind of considering maybe like a few generations ago, like the 1950s, the 1960s, because that's actually where a lot of these brands kind of originated from. And then you have kind of the next wave of brands that started in this past generation. So 90s and, and beyond, you have some brands like Under Armour, you have what I was talking about with uh, Gymshark or you have like Lululemon and, and a bunch of other ones that have came up, but it's kind of this um, new age, old school, like who's winning the battle? We have a lot of discussion in at least like the sports nutrition world about like legacy brands are dying. And this is also happening in just the bigger like CPG mm-hmm. industry. You have a lot of these really huge names that have been around for a long time that are struggling. But is that the same thing that's happening with the athletic apparel and footwear game? It's not really happening in the same sense. So what are they doing that is maybe unique or what are they doing that maybe other businesses or anybody can kind of point to and say like, wow, they have been around for this long and they're still growing. They're still killing it. They're still, you know, something that people are interested in wearing on their chest. You know what I mean? Like a big logo on your chest is, is kind of making a statement. So Mm -hmm. this is, Kind of the ultimate uh, consumer branding play, if you're thinking about, because we wear these logos proudly on our chest, yeah
0: I mean, you think about the number of apparel companies just in our space now i'm not talking basketball, football and like athletics I'm talking fitness i mean it's every other day there's a new apparel company popping up on Instagram with some clever saying on a T- shirt they're, they're all using the same t-shirts, next level t-shirts like one of the things that I hesitated doing was creating apparel for FI because It's one of the worst fucking investments you can make. I mean, apparel is just a terrible investment, but that's always the idea people have. Like, let's start a T-shirt company. If anybody's ever watched, and Josh and I talk about this all the time, if you've ever watched Shark Tank, Mark Cuban is like the biggest proponent in the world against apparel companies. Like, he hates it uh, because the amount of inventory that you have to stock uh, and the cash flow that gets tied up in it and just the estimates of sizing and forecasting and styles, it's just, it's... It's tough, but um, you know, that's that's how these brands have become super smart in terms of obviously forecasting, but they've also done some different things. Like, I mean, Phil Knight and Nike, if you've read the book Shoe Dog, which I'm sure you probably have, and, and most yeah. of us who love business have, it's a great memoir of, of his life and story and how Nike started. And it's just it starts with a bang, like right away, in terms of how he had this vision, anyway. Um, it's Nike's like. The Great American Story of Brand. I know mean, they've had some negative press, obviously, throughout the years. Everybody knows, a lot of people know about that. But like, how they're able to sustain like the longevity that they have, and they're still the number one, basically, athletic apparel company in the world. And I don't see anybody touching them. Um, it, it's it's interesting, but I do like this topic because many of the small brands that you and I wouldn't even say they're small. Like Lululemon is not small. Athletica is not small. They're not small brands. But what they did that I think is how they chipped away maybe at some of these big legacy brands, and, and maybe not chipped away a lot, but what they did is they, they realized like we can't be Nike. We can't provide everything to everybody like Nike does. Nike has toddler shoes, toddler wear. They have T-shirts. They have jerseys. They have football cleats. I mean, lit, baseball gloves. They have everything that covers everything in sports. Lululemon came along, for instance. I'm to use them because they kind of blew up like super crazy, yeah. um, and said, you know, what? we're not going to be able to compete with Nike. But like what Nike does not necessarily do a great job at is some of this like athletic apparel in terms of like gym wear and comfort clothes that with style. So they took a niche of what Nike was doing, but maybe not excelling at, and said like we can do this better instead of taking on Nike as a company as, as a whole now. You could argue a company like Under Armour looked at Nike and said, I want to take Nike on as a whole. And, and they tried, but they started with like different. And, and the Under Armour story is, I'm sure you know this one too. It's like, these, all these stories are great. Like, they're so much fun to read and, and hear because they're motivating and the shit. But Adidas, Converse, even, Nike, like the three big old school ones, like they're still around. Now, just to toss out a few names that people may or may not remember, um, and I'm not sure if they're around anymore, Josh, so you can correct me, but like Fila, are they still around?
1: Yeah, they are. They're kind of making a comeback more than a nostalgic play. Okay.
0: Um, but they were really big once upon a time. I mean, they weren't Nike big, but they were, uh, they were big. And uh, I think
1: I had a pair when I was maybe in middle school or something because Grant Hill, I liked him as a player, and mm-hmm. I think he rocked some Fila's.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of brands that used to be massive that just didn't keep up with the times that died. Like Fila, now you mentioned coming back, but like everybody in the world had a star jacket. Everybody had a pullover star jacket. I did. I loved it. My Niner star jacket was the shit. I don't even know if Star is in business anymore. I, they, I'm sure they've gotten acquired, and I—I
1: I think they're sold at Walmart at this point. So like, they've totally lost that uh, like premium appeal that we had when we were kids.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's this is a fascinating topic because it's just like the generalized business. How do you keep keep up with the times and stay ahead of the curve? Because do you want to be? And, and we've said this before. Like, if you're Nike, like you have a choice. Like, do you want to be blockbuster? Do you want to be Netflix? Like, how do you adapt? But what's funny about Nike is like what sells the best for them. It seems like. It's their their stuff from the fifties and sixties, like they're Jordans, right? They're Jordans, these collectibles. We should have Dan on from Ghost. Like they why do you spend so much money on Nike shoes? And it's one of the biggest obsessions in the world, Josh. Like people collecting Nike shoes. It is it's 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 like a collector's item, it's a fashion statement, they're expensive, and it's they've created somehow this demand for this product based on limited edition or limited inventory. That is just that keeps that buzz and sex appeal alive for Nike, making it a fucking cool company to be a part of.
1: Yeah, I mean the shoes, the sneakers, especially uh, what Nike does. It's it's honestly it's art. It's it's you know it's something that is really appreciated by consumers, especially sneakerheads mm-hmm. and people that are really into that kind of thing. And it just has such a cultural significance, like. Everybody wants to collab with them. Everybody wants to make exclusive, you know, colorways or launches. And, and Nike's done a really good job at understanding distribution as a whole. I mean, they were really for a while just kind of putting it all out there. But now they realize, let's control distribution a lot better. Let's control launches. Let's make things exclusive. Let's make it um, something that really the, the biggest fans out there can Invest in mm-hmm. a lot of times these things are are assets in the case like where people don't wear them they put them away and then they resell them. There's huge like reseller marketplaces now that have made uh, you know billion dollar valuations off of the reselling of Nikes and and Adidas sneakers, Ye- Yeezys, things like that. So it, it's kind of crazy this whole yeah. market that's kind of like started to happen. Um, one thing that I found like interesting when I was looking at kind of the new uh, versus old was you had most of the old brands that are focused on footwear like mm-hmm. they do have a, a big piece of their business that's apparel as well but you'll see that the younger brands not a lot of them are playing around with footwear they you can't. have under or under armour that does but i mean you i think you have a pair of underarmors yeah. i don't personally like them i've tried a few of their pairs on i just i don't like the styling of them i don't like the fits i don't like the um, the way that they feel on my feet. Like, I just have never been a big fan of them. But if you look at, like, the old-school brands, you have Nike, you have Adidas, you have Reebok, you have, you know, Puma or um, Converse or, you know, even, like, Vans or, like, yeah. all these... Like, they're all, like, shoe and, and footwear-based. And then you have the newer brands that seem to be focused more on the niches of just the apparel part of it. And I I'm not sure if there's, like, this weird, like... OPEC agreement where like you can't get into footwear uh, like the you know yeah. the strong the strong arm in you like you're not gonna it's, you're not gonna make it right. and that's why they they go after apparel it's a little bit easier because maybe it's uh you know cheaper investing kind of right off the bat mm-hmm. I don't know if you have to own some shoe factories or or anything like yeah, that I, I know, know like Shoe Dog like he talked about how he had all these kind of struggles with. Setting up contract manufacturing. Well, and talk, like that. talk to talk
0: to your boy Jack over at Bang and ask him how much it costs him to make those boots for the for. Free. I mean, he can tell you. I mean, is it is it very tough to get into the shoe business, Jack? If you're listening, is it tough to get into the shoe business? Because I don't know.
1: <laughs> Man, I I you know what I I think I'm gonna shoot him a text and ask him how many <laughs> yeah. pairs they've sold because I, I'm actually quite curious to see yeah. how many people actually bought those. I know they give them away a lot, but yeah. curious to see how many actually ponied up some money for those shoes. But <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that was kind of one thing that I kind of noticed what I mean, kind of to take this in a little bit of a a different direction, like what would you consider your favorite athletic brand and kind of like why do you pick that? I know you wear a lot of Under Armour Mm -hmm. and you like the rock, but I don't know if that's your favorite apparel company.
0: Uh, It is, actually. Um, I like the quality of the stuff, actually, quite a bit. I mean, for me, um, I'm also one of those guys who likes to go against the the grain and kind of be like abnormal to what's accepted for instance like growing up my entire family with packer fans because i grew up in wisconsin like i didn't want to be what, like my family so um i see everybody wearing nike kicks it's like i want to be different and obviously the rock obviously helped me make my choice but um i like the shorts i like their their workout stuff um i, I don't know if i was influenced by by marketing obviously with the rock i definitely am that's not to say I don't like Nike. I have a pair of like Nike Cortez. They're like cool shit. They're like white. They're they're stylish. So um, I don't. I wouldn't say like if I, if you put a gun on my head and said which brand are you gonna pick, it's gonna be Under Armour. Um, I mean, you're wearing an Under Armour zip up right now, right? Like yeah. it's. Uh, I think that they make. I, I got some really nice like polos, some dress stuff with Under Armour. I think that they kind of went into to, to even button up tees and stuff for the office space. That's comfortable. So for me, it is Under Armour. Um, but I have no issues with Nike. No issues with Adidas. I just. I just don't I don't I guess there is a there is a feeling when you wear these clothing, right? Like even in school, when I had a pair of Nikes growing up, like you felt cool because it's a status item and, and for kids especially because my God, you walk through the middle school with a pair of brand new Nikes on and the kid next to you might have a pair of shoes from Walmart. There's nothing wrong with that. But like kids at that age understand, right? Like they understand like yeah. he's got Nikes, that's cool, and I'm wearing these like nineteen ninety nine dollar shoes from Walmart, like and That's unfortunate, but like that's that carries on through adulthood. Like that shit starts in elementary school, and like your, your your status symbol, and it carries on through adulthood. And when you put on a pair of Nikes or Under Armour or one of these sort of quote unquote legacy slash prestigious brands, you just feel better about yourself wearing that type of stuff. That's why people buy fucking Louis Vuitton and like all these crazy crazy things, like a Louis Vuitton purse for ten grand. How is it any different than a, than a purse from Target for forty? It's it's really not, other than the fact that it's leather, but. It really does come down to stats. But, sorry, long-winded uh, Under Armour is, and I, I, I do, now I prim- primarily buy, like, the Project Rock stuff because I, I like the sayings, and I, again, like his cuts, the material. For me being, like, a bodybuilder and that being fitness sort of centric, it's my shit. What about you?
1: You know, I I, I wouldn't consider Under Armour my favorite, but I do tend to wear a lot of their stuff, and I think I've worn a lot more of their stuff the older I get. And I think it's just because they make a lot of really good basics. Mm -hmm. Like I, I like just kind of basic stuff. So, um, I don't like really a lot of like loud logos or loud colors or anything like that. So I found that Under Armour tends to like serve that need pretty well, which is kind of unfortunate if you think about it, because Under Armour kind of started out as like this innovative kind of technology clothing company, like, you know, with their um compression gear. I remember what was the uh movie with um Jamie Foxx and um there was a football movie with uh Al Pacino. Is but, that uh, Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Like uh Any Given Sunday yeah, I think, I think it was so. called. Yeah, right. but basically they were wearing <laughs> like Under Armour in that movie. And I remember watching it thinking, like, what is this company and trying to figure it out. And that was kind of the first time I'd ever really experienced Under Armour and kind of getting into that. And that was really the core of the business was, like, this technology that no other kind of company was really playing with was this kind of compression-type style clothing. And unfortunately, like, over the years, they've kind of, like, diluted it, diluted it, diluted it to the point Mm -hmm. where – it becomes kind of like dad gear in a way. Like if you go and shop at one of their stores, their outlet stores, or even, um, you know, see who's wearing it around town, a lot of times it's probably our age or a little bit older over having like an 18-year-old kid that's rocking um, Nike or at this point Adidas, which we haven't really talked a lot about because in our age, like when we were younger, Adidas was a soccer company. I mean, I don't know, like I I wasn't in soccer, so I didn't wear Adidas. That wasn't my thing. Even though maybe... Later on, I wore a few of, like, more of their casual uh, Adidas. But, like, today, it's a much different company, Mm. basically because of, like, Kanye West. Yeah. Like, him bringing the Yeezy brand and him bringing this, like, athleisure, kind of, like, high-styling art type of an approach to Adidas now has given it more of an urban feel in the U.S. Like, Yeezy's, I think I looked up, like, it has a... Like a 1.5 billion dollar valuation on that brand, which right. is like second best to um, Jordan. Yeah, I think it's above um, LeBron. So it's kind of one of those things where um, it has a massive appeal to um, the market as a whole. And when mm. I'm walking around Austin or whatever, and I'm seeing like young kids, a lot of times it's Adidas or Nike. It's not. It's not Under Armour. Yeah. So I don't know if that just means because we're getting old, we like Under Armour, but you know it. It's something that I've just kind of noticed, like just casually watching people around me.
0: I think you're right. I think Under Armour is the newest of the three brands mentioned, but it's the most elder, you know, like in terms of like target market. Um, and Adidas is super interesting because we're kind of like closed minded here in the States. Um, and you mentioned it started out as a soccer company. It's still a massive, huge soccer company, right? You go to Europe and it's Adidas everywhere. Everywhere you look, people are wearing Adidas. They're wearing like their soccer jerseys. They're wearing Adidas logos on their shirt, like because they sponsor all the major club teams over there, which is football their version of football is the most popular sport in the world so it's um they they obviously have a good niche in terms of like but but everybody really does like nike kind of started out as like we're basketball apparel footwear company right we got michael jordan the best basketball player ever and then lebron james also the best basketball player ever kobe bryant like we've we've talked about celebrity endorsements on this podcast several times and and being in a footwear or apparel company like Nike and Adidas and stuff, like they really rely on some of these contracts. And I would say, like, you know, between between all of them, like Nike has reaped the most reward with the Jordan um, partnership. And I and I think you might be able to correct me. I think like LeBron's deal with Nike is evaluated at like a billion dollars. I mean, it, for whatever it was, he signed. I don't know if he signed it like yeah, five like years a, ago.
1: Lifetime, yeah, it's a lifetime deal, yeah,
0: yeah. So, I mean, and LeBron right now, obviously, he has the footwear for basketball, he's getting older in basketball. He's but he, if if he's able to create like something cool like Jordan did, I mean, awesome. And then you look at like somebody like the Rock for Under obviously, he's doing his job there. But one thing that I think is super interesting, Nike being I don't know if Nike is the oldest or if Converse might be older than Nike, um, I can't remember, but what Nike I think has done a really good job at. Because if you've ever taken a marketing class, ever we, we talk about the four P's of marketing. Something that Josh, you and I have not actually really talked about much on this podcast. But like you have your product, price, place, promotion, right? Like those are your four P's. Well, when I was going through school back in two thousand and eight, nine, whatever it was, like a, a fifth one was coming to fruition that did not exist. And in two thousand nine is ten years ago, but personalization became sort of like the fifth P of marketing. That's because Amazon was coming up, and all of a sudden you you went to Amazon, you see like recommended for you. Nike did a really good job of saying, you know what? Let's let's be able, let us let consumers personalize their footwear. And you can go on Nike; you can pick the tongue colors, you can pick the Nike swoosh colors, you can engrave or put your your stitches of your initials on it, like something that no other company had done. They they were ahead of the curve there. If you ever walked into a Nike store, it is an it's an it's an experience, uh, and that's one thing too. Like you can walk into a Foot Locker, and really, what, what is a Foot Locker? There's a bunch of shoes on the wall, basketball gear in the middle. But you walk into a Nike, you walk past this big LED screen. Showing some really cool stuff. I remember when... Do you remember the commercial when Kobe Bryant jumped over the car? Like, yeah. the, the Maserati? I mean, yeah. I remember walking to the Nike store distinctively the, for the first time in my life. See, and that was the commercial I was playing. Like, and I was walking, and the Maserati came and hit me, and, and, and Kobe jumped over me. Like, but I mean, it's just an experience when you walk into the store. So they, they really wanted to create this customer experience. Instead of fitting into the background saying, like, we're Nike, we're going to survive off of our, our legacy, the swoosh. Like, that's what people want. Like, they never stopped innovating or uh, adapting to what the consumers want. It's 2020 almost, and they were created, what, 19, when, when, did, when did Nike come out? 1964? Yeah, something like that. I mean, that's, that's pretty good longevity in, 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 a, in an apparel slash footwear business, and I don't think they're going anywhere ever, um, but I, I would just say, like, for as many times as they could have made the wrong decision just to sit back and relax like some, some brands do in our space in sports nutrition, they didn't. And there are still many startup brands that come out there that try to do things differently. But they take a lot of pages out of Nike's book because Nike is still, like, by far, in my opinion, like leading the way in terms of, of making the biggest noise in the space. Um, and you have disruptors like Under Armour where he's slinging this compression gear out of his trunk in Maryland. And now he's sponsoring the Maryland football team. And now people are understanding. Like, Under Armour came out when I was in high school. And I remember it was really cool. Like We all wanted to wear it because it was like this u- unique uh, apparel company at that point. But now what's really cool is we didn't we haven't given a lot of time like these small little upstarts. And I'm not talking about gym sharks and Vanquish in, in the fitness realm, but like you look in like the general population, like we mentioned Lululemon for instance. I mean that that to me, uh, how quickly Lululemon made yoga pants cool, right? Like yeah. before Lululemon, yoga pants were not a thing. Like they weren't being worn, and if they were being worn, people looked at them and be like, "What are you doing?" Now it's like that's what it is. Like women wear legging or whatever you want to call them everywhere, everywhere so thank you Lululemon, you have saved my life and Josh's life, you made it interesting Uh, at the same time, shame on you Lululemon I've seen things I can never unsee but I mean, for Lululemon to come into the market, into this apparel market and make it acceptable and and basically make make an apparel line a stakeholder in a woman's wardrobe, like they have to have these leggings, is to me unbelievably remarkable
1: it's funny that you made that joke because actually the founder of Lululemon got into a ton of trouble I think maybe 10 or, or so years ago because he made a comment basically saying like just because you can fit into a pair of Lululemon <laughs> doesn't mean you should wear a pair right. of Lululemons And he like kind of flipped out because the, the issue was that there was – a I don't know if you remember this, but they had some black leggings that were like mm-hmm. basically <laughs> showing yep. – um, the girls uh, you know everything, and it was basically because the it was stretching too far that it was actually becoming like sheer, and people could kind of see through it transparently a little bit and he basically made that off the cuff comment, not necessarily you know kind of bashing women that were a little bit bigger, basically saying like you 're wearing the wrong sizes a lot of times you don 't really realize that because you can fit into them that doesn 't mean you actually should be wearing them or should be wearing that size, so it 's funny that you made. That particular joke because he got into a ton, yeah. ton of trouble um, with that. I don't think he's actually the CEO anymore, but he's. Um, but it, it, there's an, actually there's a really good episode on um, the podcast, um, like how I built this, like an NPR podcast about Lululemon, which is is pretty good. But you, you mentioned a few things like with Nike that I found interesting. That um, Lululemon's kind of taken some some good things from, and you said around like. Nike's use of their stores like and they've done a really good job lately about also building some new like experiential uh, kind of like design forward type of stores where like you can actually go in there and, and like you said personalize or customize things you can actually be a part of the process when you're putting together shirts or um, shoes or anything like that, which is extremely great I mean I think that Nike is going to probably Scale that out to other cities. I think they're only maybe in in New York City or L.A. or, or maybe in China or something like that. So it's not everywhere at this point. But uh, Lululemon, what I found most interesting, what I've always loved about their locations, is that they've used their locations as kind of like a community hub for the kind of people that in which they're trying to attract. Mm. So like yoga or Um, you know, maybe some of the other kind of like uh, bar type classes or things like that where they actually host events um, on the weekends. They have things where people come into the store, they get some special discounts or whatever, but they're using it more in like an experiential way. The store isn't just these four walls. It's also a place where people meet and engage and they get to know each other and they get to share commonalities. And that's why a lot of people love Lululemon because they're more than just this Physical mm-hmm. piece of the apparel that you put on, you actually get a feeling when you put it on, you're a part of something, a little bit more than just um, that logo that's right. on on that back. So I found that kind of interesting about Lululemon that they've they've been able to utilize their stores in a really strong way. I think when I looked at like their previous uh, quarterly, they're actually still opening stores, which in the retail world at this point, like that's kind of weird, where mm-hmm. you know everybody's trying to close stores or optimize their stores, where they're saying. There's a ton more opportunity for us to get more business by doing this yeah. because we found a way to utilize our stores uh, more in a more unique way than anybody else.
0: What's interesting about Lululemon too, because my wife shops there. It's it's always busy. It's always yeah. busy when you walk into Lululemon. Like there are lines at the counter. Sizes are con- continually sold out. Uh, they, I don't know. I mean, it's they have a lot of inventory for sure. But I mean, my personal take on Lululemon is I don't think it's that good of quality. Like I don't think it's great quality. But I think that they have done. And maybe I'm wrong. I mean, but like, just f- from feeling some of the stuff for mens, I'm like, I would not pay 120 bucks for this. It, yeah. To me, it doesn't make sense. But they have done a really good job of branding themselves, and they also do like a no hassle, no bo- no questions asked, like free returns, exchanges. Like you mentioned before, that whole thing with the leggings being see through. Like Under Armour after that whole thing, or I don't remember, Lululemon after that whole thing, said like bring it back, we'll exchange it for free, or if you get like a snag in these things, we'll exchange it for free. Um, so they do a really good job of customer service and branding. And you mentioned too, like. On weekends, Sunday mornings, before they open their stores at 10 a.m., at 8 o'clock, what they'll do is they'll, they'll everything's on wheels. So they'll move them to the side, and they actually have yoga classes in there um, for, for the community to come. And what's going to happen when you do a yoga class at Lululemon? You're going to walk out buying something. You're going to leave when that store opens. You're going to buy something, whether it's a new yoga mat, headband, whatever. Uh, for me, like I own two things from Lululemon. They're both headbands. Um, just just for sweat purposes. But like, I don't fit well in their clothing because I'm a fucking beast, Josh. Of course, they don't fit me. But but, um, I can see the appeal, especially for women. But what's interesting is like we talk a lot about Lululemon being women centric, and they are. There are a lot of men that shop at Lululemon, and and more so now than I've ever seen. And I think it's because they themselves have, have expanded their apparel footprint. Right when they started, they were. Leggings, sports bras, primarily women apparel, but now they have like khaki pants and button down shirts and all these things for men in the office. Again, I don't fit in them, but they're nice. They're, I can see like for us and millennials, we don't like wearing the traditional JCPenney dress pants or or whatever people buy their men's warehouse dress pants. Like if we can wear Under Armour or a Lululemon, some brand name that we're familiar with, and they're comfortable, we're going to wear those over traditional dress pants. So they recognize that, and Under Armour has too, and started creating apparel for the office goer. Um, and more and more people are 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 wearing it, and it's um it's it's very it's cool, it's refreshing to see these brands be able to come up and survive and, and take on the behemoths. But again, there's enough money to go around that they're not necessarily like killing Nike's earnings. But it's cool to see them sort of survive and thrive, especially in a retail market that is struggling. And Lululemon's out there, like you mentioned, opening new stores—that is unheard of.
1: Yeah, the athleisure movement that you're kind of talking about is kind of an extension of a lot of what consumers are are trying to accomplish today, and that's around like getting some functionality around every aspect of their lives, and and clothing is one of them. If they are going to go and, like you said, go to JCPenney and buy a a basic cotton pair of pants that doesn't uh, provide them any benefit outside of the intent in which you're using it. If you're going to church or going to a wedding and that's it, like what happens when all of a sudden you have a packed day and you had to go to a meeting, but then you uh, also might have to go to the golf course or might have to go somewhere where like you, you definitely don't want to go and golf in something that maybe doesn't have some stretch in it or breathability Mm -hmm. or whatever. So then they've been able to mash these things together saying, we're going to take some elements from what you utilize and want in your workout gear, but also kind of put it in a more, Uh, casual, conventional cuts and and different ideas where then you could wear this at the office, you Mm can wear this, whatever. And for somebody like you or I or anybody that's kind of listening to this that, you know, spends time in the gym, having some breathability and stretch and stuff in your clothes a lot of times helps because Mm -hmm. we might not want to buy three sizes up in a t-shirt because our shoulders fit into that, but it's going to look like it's a big bulky thing on the butt. Like if there's a little bit of stretch and things in there, it might look like we're wearing a medium and a little bit tighter or whatever, but you know, you worked hard for that anyway, so it's okay to kind of fit yourself into that type of a shirt, and it's going to work better for like your kind of tightened mm-hmm. knee type of physique. So it's one of those things where it's, a lot of these trends are starting to work out. Pretty well in, in the um, in the market, and you're finding these companies that are kind of moving into fragments and niches. Like a uh, Under Armour is trying to find you know that way with men's and women's kind of apparel athleisure type stuff. You have Lululemon that's obviously focused a ton on that, um, and they're kind of competing against. Not that I guess conventional products. Yeah. That's it. They're not really competing against a Nike or even an Adidas. They're more geared towards like streetwear mm-hmm. type of things. They're not really geared towards like this athleisure type of a thing. Even though I think they have a ton of stuff that maybe would be considered athleisure if we're looking at this from like an analyst perspective. But like I always kind of think about that kind of stuff more in like a streetwear right. type of a, a look to it. But um, you know, it's it's because they probably don't want to compete directly against a Nike or against a Adidas that also owns uh, Reebok, where you have these, you know, those companies are far and away like massive comparable to the other ones. I think Nike's somewhere around 39 or $40 billion company. You have Adidas, which is somewhere around like a 25 or so billion dollar company. And then if we're talking about like Under Armour, we're talking about Lululemon, they're like about a five billion. So like a very s- small bit comparable to these bigger ones. And you don't want to really, Uh, kind of take on this David versus Goliath type of a situation in all cases. I mean, in certain ones you're going to pick pockets that you feel like you can uh, do some damage in, but you definitely don't want to go after them in all the things because they're just going to stretch you out so thin that you're just not going to be able to compete. Mm -hmm. Um, To kind of like transition this at the end, we haven't really talked about like these smaller fitness brands that, at least for me, working out in a downtown Uh, Gold's Gym in a very hipster city of Austin, Texas. Like, you start, you see these people wearing these clothing brands. And one that I see a ton is Gymshark. And I also see like Alphalete as well, but I think that's also because of like locality. Mm -hmm. Austin and where they're at in Houston, maybe there's the connection that's a little bit closer, but definitely I see a ton of people wearing. Gymshark, do you see the same thing where you're at, or is this something that's maybe just...
0: Yes a and no, primarily with women, Uh primarily with women who compete up by me. You're a traditional gym goer that goes when you do an LA Fitness, no, but like my gym that I go to, a lot of competitors are there. Um, they are wearing a lot of Gymshark and i think it's to me it makes complete sense because they leverage instagram to if you think about the fitness community like we live on ig like we we do everything for the gram right like we go to the gym we take a picture to prove we were at the gym we're taking I, I mean listen i'm speaking about myself taking selfies like this is what we do in fitness like everything is a visual this is a visual business and Gymshark. shark uh, I I'm not sure who owns it. is Steve Cook like an investor in it or something um, i don't
1: I don't think at all. I mean like that's actually we talked about stories that's mm-hmm. actually a pretty interesting story. So Ben Francis is the guy that started He started when he was nineteen years old. sure um, so he was um he was early into this kind of thing, and it actually i think it' was only started in like two thousand and twelve, so this is a seven year old brand. He's only still in his mid um, 20s at this point, but it started in the u k Um, but it has grown, like, massively, you said, because of Instagram, Uh, just because it's had this, like, cool culture, cool effect that's just kind of, like, brought it through with Instagram where it's kind of like a follower mentality on Instagram. Like, if you see your favorite um, influencers, you know, Steve Cook or or a bikini girl or whatever wearing their tights or wearing their shorts or shirts or whatever, then you go and try it. And then Mm -hmm. they've been able to back it up with some pretty good, clothing design and quality that people were like, okay, well, it was great. You know, Steve Cook made me buy this pair of shorts and the shorts are actually pretty nice. I'm going to buy some more. I'm going to buy some more. So they've been able to like get uh, people into the funnel, but also be able to keep them in there because they've, they provided them both mm-hmm. like a brand that people are interested in and also just quality of product that yeah. uh, they're around now. We're talking about this brand it's obviously much smaller than the other ones we've talked about i think i looked up and tried to they're obviously a private company yep. so i can't really understand but i looked up some different articles on what size they are and it said they were about like 165 million dollars in 2018 and i think they've been doubling sales year over year so like maybe they're going to be three or four hundred million dollars this year which is a really a big accomplishment by you know 19 year old kids starting this in 2012. it's not like this is you know, a seasoned entrepreneur. This was just a hungry young kid that saw some trends and took advantage of it.
0: Yeah, it's it's impressive. I'm not a big Gymshark fan personally, like, but I mean, I, I as a as a business, like, I'm a, I'm a fan of the story and like a fan yep. of the the growth. Like, what they do and they do a really good job at with the Instagram is like this. Uh, people are gonna take this the wrong way. I'm gonna get fucking killed for this, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Like, they make you look better than what you actually do. I mean, uh, like, their leggings will make. Um, a flabby it's like ass a real lo- life filter. It'll look, yeah. It's a real life filter. It'll make a flabby ass look tight, and that's. It sounds bad. It does, but it, it. That's how it is. Like right, if you, and if you don't necessarily have the best peach bottom in the world, you throw on a pair of gym sharks, and guess what? That picture looks a hundred times better than it did prior to putting them on. And now I'm not faulting them for that because everybody wants to look and feel sexy in what they wear. So good for them. Good for them to be able to sell a pair of leggings to somebody who might not be where they want to be. Now, I hope. From a fitness perspective, if you're a female and you wear those and you realize, like, maybe you don't have that perfect bomb that those Gymshark shorts are showing off, that that's what you strive to have, and you'll work your ass off to get a real one so you don't have a fake ass for Instagram based on Gymshark. But again, it's, it's brilliant. It is absolutely brilliant. I, I, I bet you any money at 19 years old, he's sitting at a desk like the one you have right now in Austin, thinking, like, how can I make a girl's ass look better? I, I'm not even kidding. Like, that could be a premise of, like, how do you make somebody look better than what they actually are? And he did it. And they did it with it. now, I'm speaking specifically on women. I don't really look at the, the men gear too much. But um, then you have the, the very, very attractive women on Instagram posting pictures of them. And, yes, they look phenomenal. They, they all look good. And I'm not – and, 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 and people see that and they're like, I want to look like that, right? And then they try it and they like it. The quality is not bad. And they continue to buy it. And now they're in the funnel and now they're on the email campaigns and they're buying something every three to four weeks. Um, If you're like my wife, the Amazon boxes show up every week. There are a lot of people that do that too, right? I mean, they might be buying something every single week and I'm not going to fault them for that. They have grown a hell of a business to the point where they could be acquired by, and I was going to say this earlier, like a company like Nike might look at that someday and say, listen, we don't really have a footprint in this spot. It doesn't make sense for Nike to put a swoosh on this type of stuff. So let's buy it. And they've done that with Vans. They've done that with Hurley. They've done it, I believe, Roxy, which is like a swimwear company. I think Nike owns them too, maybe. Um but they're smart enough to know like listen this isn't this isn't a nike brand but we want we want the revenue from this so we'll buy it and just keep it brand the way it is and uh, a lot of these startup companies, I mean, they start a company to what? Be acquired, be purchased, right? Like they want to sell off. And uh, your big boys like Nike and Adidas and Reebok are the ones that they're trying to buy them up because they don't have a foothold in that spot. So kudos to Jim Shark and that entire process and how they built it. I'll have to like learn more about that story because it is, from what you just even mentioned, it's super unique. Especially at 19 years old, like that's a cool fucking story. And uh, making women look better since 19 years of age. So if it's seven years, seven years old, like they are, they're killing it.
1: Oh, good good for him and I, and I like uh, the idea of having a job that the only thing you do is is try to figure out how do you make women's uh, asses look better I mean yeah. that's that yeah. like a one in a one in a lifetime job Here it is you don't have to pay, pay for pay implants you kid.
0: just got to buy a pair of my leggings
1: Yeah I don't I don't know what his uh I don't know what his marital status is but I'm assuming when he started he was single so it was probably a good ambition to think <laughs> sure. about that Yeah
0: Yeah no. um th- good topic I mean this this is we could just keep talking about this the apparel business in general and footwear business is just so unique and like uh, Gymshark's not the only one in fitness. Like there's, like you mentioned, there's Off Elite, there's Vanquish, there's plenty of these boosts that you see at the Arnold too, with with companies that'll probably never become like a Gymshark, but they're there. They're trying to leverage, and um, Gymshark was able to offer a unique uh, point of differentiation or a unique value to people in the space, and they've done a good job of doing it. Um, but again, they're not looking and saying I'm taking on Nike. They're they're looking at creating their own market in a space that was for the most part untouched. Um, and that's what we need to do, Josh. We need to think of like, how do we create these hats, man? Because you and I like, both like wearing hats. Like, what yeah. kind of hat can we create for the bodybuilding world that's going to sell like fucking crazy? Uh, can we make a hat that makes you know, somebody like Ben Kane look prettier? I mean, now if we can do that, we're, we're sitting pretty well. We're, we're going to be billionaires at that point. Yes, yes. If you, if you guys have any comments here, make sure you leave them over at Facebook. You can follow us there. Also, make sure you stream or download this on iTunes, Spotify. Watch via YouTube. Uh, any topics of conversation you guys want to discuss, let us know. But I uh, appreciate the engagement. The one on this one will be cool too. We'll be here to see. I'd be curious to hear what people's like go-to brands are. And why that yeah. is, because, uh, you know, we're, we're uh, at this point almost middle aged white men. <laughs> Jesus, that sounds weird. Um, and we are we're wearing dad clothes and Under Armour. So how many of you out there uh, have a dad bod like Josh and I that are, that are repping Under Armour? We're on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Podcast, and more. Follow us along on our social media channels. We're on Facebook, Two Guys, One Cup, Instagram, and Twitter.